0: All right, well, we're going to be, let me finish this cough drop. Get it out of the way instead of trying to fake it, you know. Well, those are really kind of, they get a little fire to them when you bite through them. Okay, gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that Timothy was told by the Apostle Paul, stir up the gift that is within you. Interesting, huh? Because he he knew that he had, Paul knew that Timothy had a gift. Um, He knew that he was equipped by God. He knew that. Maybe not even knowing specifically, I I think he did know because of the close relationship they had, but maybe not even know for sure what Timothy's gifts were, but he said, stir it up. And I liken that to to when you have, uh, okay, I don't mean to tease you and trigger some sensory memory, but like when Kim makes chocolate chips, you know she, she has this thing called batter. You know what I mean? She just kind of mixes it all together and she stirs it up. Now, you know, if she didn't stir it up and she just cooked it, you, all a, you want a cookie? When the batter's not stirred? It's, have, you ever even th- have you ever seen a little kid their first time through make a, but they don't stir it good? It's just not right. Timothy was told to stir up that which God has placed within you, the ingredients, so to speak, the presence of God, the, 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 the personality, the individuality of Timothy, the, the redemptive work that's taken place, all this to stir it up, stir up this gift that God had placed within him. And, and I think it's important that we, too, desire to know what God is doing in our lives, what gifting he, and when I say gifting, I want to say plural, Because it's usually not one specific singular gift. As we'll see, even as we study this, there's there's these gifts that are intertwined. We've seen where the gift of healing often involves the gift of faith as well. Faith is imparted that healing is experienced. We see uh, faith brought into measure even in people coming to uh, understanding and to see the, the gift of salvation and so on and so forth. So, Let's just go with, start with a few things here, though, as our study, in our study tonight on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in part two. God, in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells those who have believed Jesus for salvation. We're told in, in several places, but one specific place, whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So there's that, that um, believing that is really, a, as we've seen last week, a gift. But for those who are born again, you and I who have been born of the Spirit, we are now indwelt by God in the, of, in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We're not just cleaning up our act and getting religious. We're not living a moral life, a little more of a moralist, more of an ethical life. We're not just, you know, doing things that would please Grandma. You know what I'm saying? We're, 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 we're born again. We're a new creation, regenerated, if you would. And we're invited, we're even instructed, to receive the power to be his witnesses. Let's start our journey. Um, Let's just begin in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Want it in, Mark? I've been all over Acts. There we go. Now we're back into the numbers. Here we go. In Acts 1, specifically in verse 4, we read Jesus' instruction to his followers. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So it's interesting because we looked last week, in, in, even in John 20, Uh, verse 22, when they had received the Holy Spirit. So the same group has received the Holy Spirit, but now as they're here in Jerusalem, sometime later, they're assembled, and he says, don't don't leave until, you'll notice over in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here he's instructing them in this message to them, as they've assembled together, he says, just wait until you receive the promise of the Father, for you shall receive power. They've received the Holy Spirit, but there was a, an experience, an invitation to be empowered to be his witnesses. See, if you don't have the empowering of the Holy Spirit and you're trying to be his witness, you're you're actually trying to do it on your own because if you want people to know, but you just decide you're going to go do it for him because it seems like a good idea. Yet you need to be empowered. The, the, the disciples were specifically said, were specifically told, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Now from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, just take a right just a little bit over to chapter 2. In verse 4, we know what has happened at this point. They had gathered in the upper room, approximately 120 of them. Um, we're, we're, there's an insert of an, uh, something that had taken place. Uh, there was a replacement for Judas Iscariot selected. A man by the name of Matthias was brought in as, as one of the apostles, if you would. And the day of Pentecost had come. come and we see in verse 4, at that day, on that day, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're waiting for this empowerment to be His witness. They're waiting to receive the power. And we see right here that they do receive that power. And there's an expression as they're seeking Him, as they're waiting for Him, as they're longing for God to enable them to be the believers, be the Christians, to live the life He's calling them to. It happens. The Holy Spirit then gives them this this ability to speak. It's not mentioned on our on our projection, but when you look at what we they were they the, what was being said, that the um, disciples, the apostles, spoke in the language of the Cretans and the Arabs and those in the parts of Libya and Cyrene. And they spoke, it says in verse 11 of Acts chapter 2, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So the gift of tongues at that time in that expression was to bring to the people that had gathered in Jerusalem a a, a declaration of the wonderful works of God. So those who were speaking in tongues weren't really the one they're focusing on. They were receiving the word that was brought forth was this declaration of the wonderful works of God. Now, of course, as the people hear it, some begin to mock. And they say, man, these guys were drunk. It's like, what are you, crazy? It's early in the morning. We're not drunk. And then Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he didn't have time to prepare a message. He didn't have an outline set. He just, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in that moment, at that time, he gives this sermon. And we know from this sermon, there's a response. A very short sermon, quite honestly, a very concise sermon, but empowered by the Holy Spirit because they wanted to be his witnesses and they waited for God's work. In verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 41 and 42, then those who gladly received his word, speaking of the the message that Peter brought forth in the power of the Spirit, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. So here's what's happening as we see this unfold. We see the church now in a living expression, empowered by God, to go tell people about the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for humanity. And they're now empowered, and they, they hear it, and people respond to the message. You know, a pretty, that's a pretty good altar call, right? I mean, thirty thousand people or when and, and, and they make a commitment, and they, and they make a life change, they they were continued, they committed together. Now, empowered by the Spirit, enabled and equipped by the Spirit to live and love at a higher level. You know, we've, I've been sharing that a lot through 1 Corinthians. That's our calling, to live and love at a higher level. To live in this manner that we are invited to, we need Him. We need Him. I, I know it seems obvious, but you know, in the churches in the region of Galatia, a question was presented to those Christians living in that region. We read it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? See, see, what happened is in, in Galatia happens today. What happened in Corinth often even happens today. We can get started... In the spirit, literally a spiritual work. We didn't just, you know, earn our salvation or work it out. It's just a gift of God. And so as we are now born, begun in the spirit, we can incline, we can tilt towards accomplishing things through our effort, through our experience. Too often we start well, depending on God, turning to him for for hope, um, literally for help for relief in situations for wisdom to handle things for for the love to know how to love because we experience a new love and and then we need to how do I love like this how do I how do I do this so we start well but then we can begin to rest on experience or expectation they're both put together so we begin well maybe you can relate to it Maybe it was a few days or weeks or months or years that you really were walking in a joyful dependence upon God. And then as you go along, it becomes kind of routine, and the routine starts to become a bit of a rut. And then it's just regular attendance and regular meetings and regular schedule. And that regularity tends to lead sometimes to just repetition, just kind of repeating. We started with an expectation and a an a awe and a wonder and almost a fear of what God would do because we didn't even know what it meant to be born again. And now we're experiencing it and we kind of hit, I call it, a little bit of a lull. Our hearts can become cold and we can just be going through the motions. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you maybe. It's kind of going through the motions. And it, and it's risky. It's even dangerous. We need a fresh work of God, and from God every day. And, and even as it would request at the same day, same, or same thing every day, we could become almost repetitive in our petition because it happens every day. You see what I'm saying? There's just things that creep in on us. The Corinthian church experienced this. They had become more social than spiritual. We know that because we're, we told, we're told that in chapter 3 and in the start of that letter That they're more carnal because they were saying, well, I I follow this guy or I follow that guy or I like it. I do it this way. And and the word tells us that that they showed they were more social than spiritual. They'd begun well, but they'd settled for a low spiritual life. They had happened to them, what has happened to many of us at various times. And and they needed to be reminded that they needed the present to, to have a conscious awareness of God's presence. The faith to plug into his power and the knowledge to know they needed him. They needed to be equipped to live the life they're called to live, to live the life we're called to live. So let's go to First Corinthians. We're going to look at just a little bit there. I I like this. I I always start here because it talks about um, just how things go. Chapter 12, verse 1 of First Corinthians. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You see what he's saying? I don't want you to be uninformed because even in the early church, there was an un- a uninformedness. A un- they were unaware. Maybe they were just, you know, willingly not wanting to ask. However, it's still the same today. On one side of the pendulum concerning spiritual gifts, there's this over-conservative viewpoint that believes the gifts are not for today. Among Christians, believers, born-again people. They say, no, those are not for today. Those are for the apostolic era. Those gifts were needed to get the church started. But now that it's going well and the foundation's set, those gifts are not in place today. And then you have over here, the other swing, the other far end, is like the the expressions and the manifestations of the Spirit are necessary to even know you're saved. You have to have do certain ones or say certain things as a validation of your your salvation, and then you have to, there has to be an ongoing expression to where this becomes more important in the foundation of the work and so what happens it, it actually we need this middle ground an awareness that they 're for today, but where our hope is in the promises of God, the perfect work of God, that he'll bring about in our lives um, expressions that bring glory to him, so we don 't want to be ignorant. It goes on to say that there's diversities of gifts in verse 4, which means there's, there's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's differences of ministries or serving, but the same Lord. There's diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation or this expression of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So it's so important to keep that in the forefront. It's for the benefit of everyone. It's not for the elevation or the exaltation of the recipient of a gift. That person should decrease and then the Lord would increase. Um, we should be aware that it's for His glory. Now you've seen, I hope you've realized we because we've read through this a few times over the last few weeks, there's diversities of gifts. A gift of faith can be, met, can be expressed in different ways. It's not like this is faith and this is how it's identified. There's there's different types and different expressions, diversities of that particular gift. There's difference of ministries, the difference of ways it's seen and the way it can be presented. and and their diversity of of activities, and and that's the way that it would be administered or be brought into understanding. Sometimes we think, well, this is the gift, and this is what it is. This verse, this verse, and this verse talk about this, so this is how it is. These lists in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, a little bit there in Ephesians 4, are not meant to be all-inclusive and definitive. This is all there is. They're really meant to teach us that God distributes for the profit of all. It is given, the manifestation is given for the benefit of all. The concluding verse I would r- draw your attention to would be verse 11. But the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing in div- to each one individually as He wills. So important. Because it takes away competition, correct? You, how could you compete with another person? You know what they do, so you try to do it better? Because they have that gift, and if you do better, you'll get a better exa- Better. Empowerment of that gift, perhaps. It's just natural logic. It's, it's earthly wisdom, if you would. But that doesn't make sense if God distributes as he wills, as he sees fit, as he determines for his purposes, for his glory. So we looked at the list in chapter 12. Um, that's the listed there in uh, verses 8 through 9 last week. I want to go over to Romans 12. Romans 12 is a list that I want to take a gander at and work through not to try to be definitive and say this is how they are, this is what they do, but really to say how do we experience this? How what is what does God have in mind? How how do we position ourselves? What's our part in experiencing and and in exercising the gifts of the spirit? I mean, if God distributes as he wills, we know he's going to distribute at his will as he wills, but the word also teaches us that we do have a part. There's a part in not only uh, the the heart that would receive, but the proper expression or utilization of the gifts. Consider Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I believe it begins here. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, you know, of course, we're in chapter twelve of Romans. So verses one through eleven have brought him to this point, as he as he teaches the necessity for salvation. As you you know Romans one and two, and he wrote, well all the way up through eleven here, or chapter eleven, the end of it. You understand? In light of all of this, because of what who God is and what He's done for you, because of His amazing love for you, it's reasonable that you would just present your body a living sacrifice. It just makes sense. That you would you know by the mercies of God, you present your body to him, so the recipient to be in position, i guess I would say, to some measure to receive the gifts of the spirit we've got to be surrendered to God, we've got to recognize god you i i'm I'm done with this world i'm done with the ways of this life i 'm done i i I'm, I'm just i'm just presenting my body to you, not a dead offering but a living sacrifice. And know that I don't know how to tell you how to do that. I just know it's an attitude of heart more than a work of the hands. It begins in the heart. Like okay, God, I, I'm just here. It just makes sense. You've done so much for me here. I, I'm yours. So how do I now live? Well, it goes on to say, and do not be conformed, but present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I believe everyone gathered here, everybody listening, wants to know God's will for their life. I believe it's a heart cry, even before you're born again. There's the, the desire to know purpose and quest to figure out why I'm here, what life is. But even more so, when you're born again, born of the Spirit, we want to know God's will. As much specificity, specificness we can as we can have, um, with a, a, enough awareness that we can handle. See, God doesn't tell you everything. You know why? Because He loves you. And you can't handle it. <laughs> None of us could handle it. None of us can really handle what He has in store. And when we're back here and He's teaching us, okay, this you're going to be here one day? Oh, that's going to be amazing. Well, you're going to go through here to get to here. Uh, it's a lot shorter to go this way. No, this, I'm not. And he doesn't tell us, correct? Why doesn't he tell us? He loves us. And he's not going to tell us about things. They're going to freak us out. You know, I mean, this is not like just a God thing. It's a parent thing. You know, parents sometimes don't tell kids. This is what we're going to do. They just say, get in the car, you know, especially when they're little. It doesn't work as good when they're teens because you have like, give me the keys, you know. But nonetheless, you see my point. It's like, we're going to go here. I don't want to go. I remember one time, <laughs> I'll over here, you guys will get it. We're going to Castle Rock. And one of our children resisted. Teens, early, early teens. And it was just like, we were like um, demonic entities destroying their life, requiring of them to do something as a family. And so we go up to Castle Rock. Well, Castle Rock is just a, Bunch of cool rocks to climb on in the dirt and open area. Well, this particular child was really resisting this requirement. Real pain in the neck, basically, until we get up there. And I said, you can sit in a suburban or whatever, but we're going to enjoy the time we're here. And they did. They stayed there for a little bit, and then they're out. By the end of the night or the afternoon, they're loving it. We get home, and I heard these words. I've held them for years. I love them. Because they said, "I'm so glad you made us go," because I didn't want to go. I'm like, duh. <laughs> well, everybody in the suburban knew that, you know. And it's like, but they realized afterwards. It's like you and I. God doesn't tell us in t- in entirety because He's like, "I love you too much. I want you to experience this as you go." So, anyway, all of that to say, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. we got to change the way we think because we've experienced the touch of God, because we've seen the hand of God. We're learning the love of God. So he's saying, you know, th- th- you may prove that good and accepti- acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove there, it just it's a word that speaks of, um, that you can, can put it to the test for confirmation. It's not uh, in a negative, like, oh, well, I'll see if God can do this. Because you know, that's more of the doubting spoken of in James. But it's, it's putting it to the, I want to approve, I want to test this for confirmation. I, I believe it to be true. And, and so here we go. So changing the way we think, not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, it, it brings to reality that God is right. Have you ever proved God right in different ways? I've done things in my life as a young Christian. I knew according to the word of God, I should not do. But I did it anyway, and I suffered the consequence of it. And the consequence of it confirmed that God was right. I don't recommend that process. It's not the best way to confirm that God was right. It's much better to go, okay, I'm going to go with it this way. I'm going to stick on the course. So here we go. We're desiring that be these bodies, these new creations, born again, empowered by the Spirit. We're surrendering our lives to him. We're learning how to rethink. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. A measure of faith. You notice how you got that measure of faith? God has dealt to each one a proportionate measure of faith. Uh, um, uh, just the right faith. The faith to believe unto salvation. To, say, to faith to believe in a situation. The faith to believe the promises when life seems impossible. We don't generate faith. We can water it. We can nurture it. I think that's a simple, good imagery to see it grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're growing in the word. But ultimately, it's a a gift given to you and I. I didn't, looking back, I describe my conversion experience. You and I probably, we describe the circumstances and the situations that led us to the realization. But it wasn't our choosing Christ as much as it was our responding to his love for us. It was His invitation. He even give us, according to what we're told, a measure of faith to believe the Word of God. We weren't there. We didn't see Him on the cross. But He gives us a measure of faith to believe the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And He gives us that measure of faith, that portion, to be able to hold on to um, what, that, what those promises are. I want to read from uh, last Wednesday night, there was a question that come up in regards to this, and it was very insightful. I, I, that's why I want to share it now. The question or the request was, can you elaborate on how faith is a gift to certain believers? Um, the, the point being, it, it seems to stand out as a gift that's for the individual, more so than uh, uh, that's poured out through a person onto others. Does that make sense? Like we see the other gifts different way. Well, so think about this. How is the gift of faith brought into your life and encouragement or how does it build up others? Well, it builds you up because you're walking by faith. But that walking by faith, this this walking in the spirit and, and, and seeing God's hand is also a written or visible expression to other people. The transformation that's happening in your life is evident to other people, so that gift of faith that's taking place in the individual is actually impacting other people. Does that make sense? So I believe the gift of faith, when it's lived out, is, is one of those that just it, just, it just, it just like water that just poured out, it just goes, and people see it, and it's, it impacts their life. So, for each one, according to this text, we're told that we have a measure of faith. He mentions in verse 5, For as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. We went over that in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians 12 as well. Verse 5 goes on to say, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individuals individually members of one another. So once again, this reminder that we're all together, that once again... God distributes as he wills for the profit of all. So as where this imagery is the body, speaking of the global church, the whole body of Christ, having, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So it's saying, use your gifts. How did you get them? Through unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. It says, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So how do you use something if you don't know what you have? Well, you don't. I mean, it could still be manifested and used, but for your benefit, you want to just go before the Lord. I believe this is done first and foremost, privately, uh, done humbly. it's done if you would, figuratively speaking in your prayer closet, like, Lord, what is my gift? What is my what is my my part, my functional role? in the body of Christ at this time? What do do you have working in me and through me that would bring glory to you and not attention to me? How can you, God, use me? And so really, it's a humble person, because that's how you get the gifts. You desire the best gifts. It says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You just seek, God. I I need to know what it is. I want to use them. And it gives us some examples. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So prophecy, we have the Old Testament um, expressions and examples, but let's not limit it. Let's not say that it doesn't need to be, if you would, in the category of uh, Isaiah or Daniel or thus saith the Lord type of dis- conversation. What is prophecy? Prophecy is God's word brought forth. It's his word in a given situation. I believe it's one of the most frequently used gifts. I believe it's one that is most often used, and the person who's using it, expressing it, doesn't know it. So they're speaking a word of encouragement. They're speaking a word of wisdom, perhaps. They're speaking God's word into a, a circumstance or a, a situation, and, and they're not even thinking about Oh, they're not saying, thus saith the Lord. Does that make sense? It, 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 I think I shared last week how my aunt, who didn't, where didn't they were at fellowship in the church they were attending, didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today. But she spoke into my life that I would be a pastor. I thought she was just being a nice, sweet aunt, which she is. But she was specific in what she said. And some years later, what she said came to fruition. I didn't see it as prophecy until I looked back on it as it had been fulfilled. So it's God's Word brought forth. Speaking edification encouragement and comfort to men and if you have it we're told use this in proportion to your faith what does that mean like well don't try to make it into something you know it isn't don't fake it till you make it you know what i mean because some people they 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 fake some of the gifts because they've been trained that's what you do but no just understand how god uses this gift in your life for his glory And like I said, much of the time I've seen the gift of prophecy used, there's been many times it's realized in hindsight. I believe in conversation. I believe in Bible study. I believe in this group gathering and Sunday mornings. The gift of prophecy is essential. God's word brought forth into a given situation. But how many people say, I'm a prophet. I need to bring the word of God to you right now. I would actually shy away from that person, myself, because they just brought attention to themselves. A humble person just shares it, teaches it. We goes on to say in, in verse 7, or ministry, if you have the gift of serving, let us use it in our ministering. So you can actually exercise, you could have a gift, not utilize the gift, but still do something similar to what that gift would empower you to. You could be an usher in a church. And you could be polite and nice and and you really wouldn't even have to be born again. You could, agreed, you could work at Walmart and you'd be like a good usher or you could be here doing it. You could just do it. I'm not saying that 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 happens all the time. I'm just saying when you have that gift of serving, let's make sure we're looking to him to empower us to serve. Let's not just kind of go through the motions and kind of like, okay, you want to see, I guess these gifts, you'll see the supernatural in the natural. You know, when you're serving, you know, use it in your ministering. You know, we can actually get in the practice of serving God and doing things for the Lord, with the knowledge of the Lord, comforted, comforted by the Lord, and yet not do it by faith, not actually tap into His knowledge, awareness of His presence, His gifting in that area of serving. We can just go through the motions. I've done it before. I don't boast in that by any measure. It's shameful but I know there's been times in my life I just went through the motions and been deeply convicted. Like, you're just going through the motions. And I've had times where I, I have just kind of come in and very routine and things are just very calming. They're they're predictable. And just find myself in prayer, relying on God, just do a work tonight. You minister to your people. Empower us to serve one another, to minister to the body. And you see the, the supernatural in the natural. Don't merely just serve in your strength. Serve with the knowledge of his presence and learn to do it in his power. It says also, um, he who teaches in teaching, you know, utilize the gift in proportion to your faith in teaching. You may think, well, you're the only one teaching, my dad. Well, maybe so, but not true entirely. Teaching comes through conversation. Teaching comes through interaction. Teaching comes through example. There's a lot of ways of teaching. we want to make sure. I want to, I want to be able to teach in his power and, and function in a way that brings glory and honor to him. He who exhorts in exhortation. Exhortation. There's encouragement. Man, you really should do this. I think you'd do well. Verbal encouragement. There's that genuine, you know, man, I think you'd do well at this. Exhortation is encouragement with a little more unction, with a little more emphasis. My dear friend, Ernest Updike, pastor in Garden Valley, he uh, shared with me his um, definition or description, illustration for exhortation. Exhortation is when you say to your buddy, don't worry about it. You can do this. You swim well you've done the lower, you can do the the high platform dive. Just jump off is all you got to do. And so exhortation says, okay, you can do it. And that guy climbs up there, gets out to the edge, looks over, says, not today. Comes back, starts back down, gets down the ladder, and exhortation says, you can do this, you really can. Tell you what, I'll go up with you this time. So you go up with him, and you stand at the ladder. And they go out there and they're like, no, I can't do it. They come back. Exhortation is like, yes, you can. I mean, just go out there and look. Just think about it. Look what we've climbed. And they go out there and look. And as they look, you push them off. That's exhortation. Exhortation is encouraging them to take that one extra step. It's not done in a sense of just like shoving them off there. You know they can do it. You've seen them. You've came alongside them. If you're going to exhort he, if you, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives, if you've been gifted in the area of giving, of your time, of your compassion, of your resources, do it not stingily, but liber- with liberality. Do it if you say you're going to do it, you do it. If, you, if you're stirred and prompted to be a part of you, think it through, and, and you know it's like, I do God's in this, then you just do it with liberality. And it's not meant to be a proportionate or a percentage or anything along those lines. You see what he's saying? He who gives with liberality. He who leads. Let me go back to he who gives. I think of you know, we have, you know, so many people that volunteer and they, that really do give here. And I'm talking about just in their participation and their involvement. And, and I see sometimes when people first get started, they give with just a little bit because it's unknown. It's uncertain. You know, I'm thinking of their involvement in serving. So they give a little bit because they like it's a big step. But I see them grow over time to where then they're actually hanging around. They're helping somebody else in Sunday school because they've taught that class before, and they're actually giving with liberality, not with just the bare minimum. I, I call I, there's a thing that's common in our culture. Um, I don't think you're going to find it on the internet. I'll tell you on where I what I believe it is. It's called BMD, bare minimum disorder. You ever work for somebody that had BMD? Bare minimum. They'll do the bare minimum. They'll be right there. But then they're out, you know. And he's saying here, if you're going to give and be involved, you do it with, in proportion to your faith, but also with liberality. He who leads with diligence. You know, diligence conveys to us an element of discipline, consistency, um, uh, competence, all these things wrapped in, if you as you lead, do it to the best of your God given ability, to the best of your um empowering and enabling. Lead consistently. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's interesting, isn't it? You show mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Don't do it this way. You know what? I'm gonna forgive you, but I you better toe the line. I'll forgive you. I'll I'll extend mercy to you, but you better straighten up. You better knock it off. It's like, shut up. It's not the, what God says. When you, give, when you extend, if you've been given this gift of mercy, then you, as you extend that to someone, do it with cheerfulness. Because if you are merciful to someone, and you're not implying some obligation or debt or reciprocation, if you're merciful and cheerful, guess what? You really build that person up. That person actually sees that this is a genuine work that they're experiencing and they, they enjoy it. The last one I'll mention, it's not on the list, but it is essential. Let love be without hypocrisy. Because we're going to look at that on Sunday on 1 Corinthians 13. But all these gifts we know, if you have all, any one of these gifts and have not love, what are you? You remember 1 Corinthians 13? If you have not love, you are a, an obnoxious noise. And you can fill in the blank with the clanging cymbal or whatever you want to call it. Let's make sure love is the compelling force because love is the means by which these these this life and these gifts are imparted. So love is really the propellant to, to move it forward, so to speak. I want to wrap up our time. We want to get done here in just a few minutes. So let's close out with 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, Romans thirteen. Verses 11-14, through 14. you've been following the news. You have, I'm confident, been curious about the end times calendar and the, the the prophetic picture and the words in Ezekiel, chapters 37, 38, even 39. You maybe have been aware of prophecies speaking of the end times, of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, earthquakes increasing in frequency and intensity and all these different things that, you know, I believe most of you here are already considering those things and aware of those things. With that in mind, verse 11 of Romans 13, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Let's pray. God, as we are gathered here in your name and desiring To just see your hand. You know each one of us. You know those quiet petitions. Maybe not audibilized in the form of a request. But a groaning of the heart. Our love. Our desire. To see loved ones know you. Our love for them. And our desire for them to know you. Those who maybe aren't even aware of their need for salvation. Those who have ignored You and maybe some have even been very defiant towards You. And We pray for a work of the Spirit that they would experience what we've experienced. That they would understand Your revelation. You would reveal to them their need for You. The knowledge of their own sin. And the forgiveness and life that You offer them. That they would know what we know, God. We believe that's a work that you'll bring about in their lives. You'll even plant a measure of faith within them to receive the truth from you. We pray for that, God. You know our heart. You know our even confusion at times. And and what will it take? What will it take? What will it take for them to come to you? Lord, we just pray for a work of the Spirit. Your work in their lives for their salvation. God we pray also for those who are just struggling the cares of this life the worry the hardship the fear the things of this life have like a like a wave has washed over them and so we pray for that work that comes only from you According to your word in Acts 3.19, the times of refreshing may come from your presence. For those who are born again, who know you, but are overwhelmed and waylaid by the things of this world, may they be refreshed. May there be a work of the Spirit in such a way that you get the glory, God, that they praise your name, even in adversity, even in difficulty, even in hopelessness, that they would experience your presence, Lord. Oh, we thank you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. And even, God, as we have time tonight to converse with one another and just uh, rest and relax a little bit, God, stir us as well individually, each one of us. You know our needs better than we know ourselves. You know where we may slip into complacency. You know where we could be uh, too zealous. You know us perfectly. And so we declare our dependence upon you, Jesus. Joyful dependence upon you for your faithful. Do that work. Prepare us even for this week to come. A time when as a culture we claim to be thankful. We have a holiday that speaks of such. Lord, may we individually recognize what we have to be thankful for. The walk we have with you. The love we received from you. May we be thankful people that we remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Stir it up and do a work. We're praying for a work, Lord, that draws deeper still, that we not be just content to look and watch the headlines, but rather, Lord, you bring us to the front line of this spiritual fight. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, we'll be... Uh, not gathering here next week, but I encourage you to connect with one another and give someone a call and um, be an encouragement to them. And we will see you after the holiday. God bless.